0: From verse 12. Now, when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one were the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity like men sent from God. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you're a letter from from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves. But our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now... If the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious with the for what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. and if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold, But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Okay. Carl. There's some complicated little pieces in there, so, Carl, all the best. I've got to fix this, have
1: You almost forgot. I wasn't going to make a scene. <laughs>
0: have we got a new light up here, Martin? It seems really bright, doesn't it? Yeah, I guess it does.
1: <laughs> Normally I'd have my light meter with me, but... Uh I left it at home, I think, but uh, not to worry. Well, maybe we'll pray before we uh, look at God's word. Heavenly Father, we ask again for your blessing uh, as we come to think about these words of the Apostle Paul. Lord, thank you that you speak uh, to us. You have spoken to Christians throughout thousands of years through these words, and we ask that uh, as we read them this morning that you would speak to us as well, that you would open our hearts to catch a glimpse of the glory of Christ uh, and the glory and the challenge uh, of gospel ministry and gospel service. Father, we ask all these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, if you've joined us uh, here for the first time this morning, we're working through uh, the book of 2 Corinthians. And uh, what we've discovered over the last couple of weeks is that uh, Corinthians is a book of contrasts. These uh, contrasts, black and white, put next to each other to kind of paint these stark pictures of the reality of Christian life and Christian ministry. Uh, And over the last couple of weeks, we've seen a number of contrasts. We've seen the contrast of suffering and comfort and grief and forgiveness, and we've seen how God uses those things, all those things, in the life and the ministry of, uh, of ordinary Christians. And in this section that uh, Chris read for us just now, uh, that we're looking at this morning, Paul begins to talk about his own ministry and uh, he talks about his own ministry in the next chapter and we'll be looking more at his ministry next week. But Paul wants to paint for the Corinthians and for us the shape of his ministry. What's it looked like? I think that's helpful for us to understand for two reasons. It's helpful for us to understand the shape of Paul's ministry and of gospel ministry because it helps us to identify true gospel ministry versus false gospel ministry. What does right gospel ministry look like? How do we know that it's right gospel ministry? But second of all, it's helpful to kind of look at what Paul has to say because it helps us to know what the shape of our own gospel ministry should be, what the shape of our lives as Christians uh, should take. When we talk about gospel ministry, uh, we often think of things like, well, someone becoming a minister, or someone teaching Sunday school, or taking youth group, or something like that, but gospel ministry just means serving people, ministry just means service, gospel ministry just means serving people with the words of the gospel. And so what Paul wants us to know is, what does authentic gospel ministry look like? What should our gospel ministry look like? Our... Serving people with the words of the gospel. And Paul gives us three contrasts, as if one wasn't enough. He gives us three and he gives us the contrast of two aromas, two kinds of recommendation, and two kinds of covenant. The first contrast is between the two aromas. And Paul begins by continuing to tell the story of how his ministry plans changed and unfolded. Last week we read how Paul had wanted to go and visit the Corinthians. That hadn't happened. He'd written a letter instead. And now he goes on to say how some of his other plans had changed. He'd gone to Troas to find Titus, but Titus wasn't there. And when Titus wasn't there, he couldn't find peace. So he decided, well, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to go on to Macedonia uh, and see what happens there. What's remarkable about what Paul says is that he doesn't see these changes in his plans as failures or as hindrances to the gospel, but he sees them instead as Jesus leading him in this triumph, spreading the aroma of the gospel everywhere. So he says in verse 14, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ." And through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. The background of what Paul is talking about comes from the Roman world. And in the Roman world, uh, what often happened is after a military victory, the victorious general would parade through the streets. There'd be this big celebration and uh, the general would come through with, uh, you know, all these garlands and, you know, (laughs) I don't know, people with streamers, I'm not sure if they had streamers in those days, but if they did, they would have been there. Uh, and the, the general was in his chariot uh, going along, but what's important uh, was that one of the key characters in this triumphal procession was some of the captives uh, of the opposing armies. And Paul's saying, what he's saying is that he is like one of these captives, the captives in the procession of this victorious general being led here and there, wherever it is, in order to make known the victory of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the victorious general. Paul is, is taken here and there to spread the message of Jesus' victory. It's easy to think of our gospel ministry and our gospel service as the things that we do to fill in the spare bits of our lives. We choose the times and the places that we serve. But Paul's view of Christian ministry and service is quite different. Paul says he's herded, if you like, before the chariot of Jesus to Macedonia, Troas, wherever it is. God chooses the place and the times. Paul doesn't see his change of plans as a failure, but he sees it as a sign of God's victory and God's power. We make plans and God drags us somewhere else. Not for our glory, not to make our lives better, not to make us feel good about ourselves, not to take away our pain, but to testify to his victory. That's the point. That's the point of gospel service, to testify to the victory of Christ. I was reflecting on how this works out in our lives uh, this week, and I thought about Graham and Linda. Uh, you remember at the end of last year, they had their plans to stay until Christmas and to come back to Australia at the beginning of January. And that all changed. War in the country, uh, all changed. Was that a failure? No, it was God leading them in captives in Jesus' victory procession. Talk to Will about his work in India. All kinds of challenges, all kinds of plans, and things that don't work out. Are they failures? No, Paul says they're Jesus leading us as captives in a victory procession. Earlier this year we made some plans as a church about starting a new service, about planning a new service and those plans didn't come off. And who knows where God will take us in the next step But one thing is for certain, where we go, it won't be as free people. And it may not be to the place that we want to go. We will go as captives in the victory procession of Christ so that the nations might know his glory. Jesus leads Paul in triumphal procession. Well, what kind of triumph is it? Somewhat strangely, it's a fragrant triumph. Uh, it feels a bit like a mixed metaphor. You wouldn't normally put military triumph together with fragrance, with Chanel Number Five, but that's the kind of thing that uh, that Paul has in mind. Again, the imagery comes from this Roman victory parade. As the general passed through the street, there'd be these fragrant spices, these aromatic uh, smells filling the air. Incense will be burned. And Paul says that in the same way, his slavery to Christ is a public and fragrant witness to the news that Jesus is king. You can't can't miss it. If you're in your house, you'd smell the smells and you'd come out and see what was going on. Paul's ministry is a witness to the news that Jesus is king, that Jesus reigns. But that fragrance is a kind of a double edged fragrance, just to mix the metaphors a little bit more. It's a, it's a double edged fragrance. To some people, Paul says, For we are the aroma, uh, we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are the smell of death, and to the other, the fragrance of life. So imagine. These people, they're watching the parade of the general. He's coming in. There's all these sights. There's there's these amazing smells filling the air. If you're on the side of the general and you smell those smells and see those sights, they are sweet smells because they're the smell of victory, aren't they? And you go, yep, we've won. But you might be in that parade as well and actually you'd kind of been on the side of the other people. And you're watching this parade and there's these smells. It's the same smells, actually. It's the same, same incense. But now instead of it being a sweet smell, it's the stench of defeat and the stench of death. It's not, it's not that there's two different smells one good and one bad, but one smell, one aroma, one pleasant aroma. And to some people it's life, and to some people it's death. And Paul says, as we present the good news of Jesus' victory, that Jesus reigns, as we say to people, Jesus is king. He's won the victory over sin, our sin. And death and judgment. As we say that news, it is to some people the most wonderful thing that they have ever heard. We've won. And to some people, it's the worst news they could ever hear. As we present the gospel, it divides people, it's a message which creates hostility. We think when we present the gospel and people don't receive it, that it's our fault. But no, it's a message which divides people, Paul says. And that's God's plan. What is gospel ministry like? It's like being led as a captive in the victory parade of Jesus with sweet fragrances which which offend some people and bring great joy to others. So Paul describes his ministry with these two uh, contrasting aromas, fragrance of life and the fragrance of death. He then goes on to describe his ministry in terms of two kinds of recommendation. So again, Paul has to defend his ministry. He might make this claim, he might say, Jesus is leading me in triumphal procession, I'm a minister of the gospel. But it seems as though some of the people in the church in Corinth weren't so sure about the authenticity of his ministry. So, verse 1 of chapter 3, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? Some of them, it seems, wanted a resume from Paul with his list of ministry qualifications. Uh, Minister, three years in Corinth... Uh, six months in uh, Ephesus, was it? I'm not sure. No, it was three years in Ephesus, wasn't it? They wanted to see his list of credentials. And Paul says, that's a waste of time. It'd be a waste of time, me writing my resume for you. Why is that? Because you already have access to the best resume that you could ask for. You, you, your lives, your, your Christian faith is actually the best letter of recommendation for my ministry than anything else. Verse 2, you yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry. not Written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. They themselves can see the recommendations for Paul's ministry because it is them, their church, their Christian faith. Notice, too, the sequence that Paul gives in this letter of recommendation. The letter is written by Christ, first of all, on Paul and Timothy's heart. So that is, God gave them the message, gave them the love for the Corinthians, and then that letter was delivered by Paul and Timothy and Titus and transcribed by the Holy Spirit onto the hearts of the Corinthians. It's not that God has just... Paul is not just saying God has written a letter on your hearts. Isn't that great? But actually what God has done in his wisdom, is written the letter, first of all, on Paul and Timothy's hearts, to be delivered by them to the Corinthians. What is the best recommendation of a ministry? Paul says, it is Christian's people whose lives have been changed, transformed, remade, remoulded by the power of the Holy Spirit, people whose lives have been gripped by the love of God, people who have been gripped by the desire for holiness, by passion for holiness, people who throw off sin, people who are becoming mature in Christ, people who are taking up their cross daily and following Jesus. That is the best recommendation of a true gospel ministry. When we see that, it doesn't matter what someone has written on a piece of paper, three years, such and such, it doesn't matter. What matters is the lives that have been transformed by that ministry. It's also a useful test. So we can ask ourselves who has God used me to bring to maturity who has been brought to faith by my ministry who's been brought from an immature faith to a mature faith through the work that you've done who has God written on your heart as a letter to be delivered by you to them by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a sad thing, I think, if when we examine our lives, we find no letters of recommendation. You see, if there's no no letters of recommendation coming from our lives, no Christians being made or discipled or brought to maturity, if there's no letters of recommendation, then what does that say about our ministry as Christians? What does that say about our faith? It's a sad thing if there are no letters of recommendation. And indeed, more than that, it's a cause, I think, for humility and confession before God. So, God, I don't don't understand what's going on here, but my life has borne no ministry fruit. But what a joy it is, on the flip side when we can point to people and circumstances and say by the grace of God that person's life has been changed by my ministry it might just be the ministry of turning up and saying a word in season as i said before it doesn't mean ministry doesn't mean teaching sunday school or becoming a pastor It means serving people with the words of the gospel. Paul says we're not competent in ourselves, but our competence comes from God. Two aromas, the fragrance of life and the stench of death. Two kinds of recommendation. Written letters on paper versus letters from Christ, written on the hearts by the Holy Spirit. Finally, Paul describes his ministry in terms of two covenants. Paul's ministry, he says, in verse uh, 6, is a new covenant ministry rather than an old covenant ministry. Or another way of comparing it is it's a ministry of life rather than a ministry of death. A covenant uh, is a, an agreement sealed with an oath. And the new covenant is God's promise of the gospel, sealed with his oath to redeem the world and to redeem those who trust in Jesus. The Old Covenant is not the Old Testament. So everything in the Old Testament is not the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant is the agreement that God and his people made together with each other after the Exodus at Mount Sinai where God gave them the Ten Commandments and the people said, everything that you have commanded we will do. And they sealed it with an oath. If we don't do it, we deserve to die. Of course, the problem was that they couldn't do it. They couldn't hold up their end of the bargain. They couldn't do everything that God said. And that's why Paul calls the old covenant a ministry of death. Because they said, if we can't do it, we should die. They didn't do it. They deserve to die. The stone tablets of the Ten Commandments and the death which which the people brought on themselves by being unable to keep their oath is what Paul is talking about when he talks about the ministry of death. Paul says, in contrast, we don't minister that covenant, that arrangement. We are ministers of a new covenant through the Spirit who brings life. That is, through the Spirit, we are united with Christ in his powerful resurrection from the dead. The letter kills. The old covenant only brought death. But the Spirit brings us the life and the power of Jesus' resurrection. Now, what's astonishing about all that is that Paul says that even though the old covenant was a ministry of death, It was a glorious ministry. It was a ministry that had incredible glory. Now, I don't think our brains can cope with that. We think old is bad, new is good. And it's either all bad or all good. But actually, it's more complicated than that. Paul says it was a ministry of death, but it was a glorious ministry. Why was it a glorious ministry? It was glorious because it gave them a vision of the glory of God. The evidence of its glory, Paul says, is in Exodus 34. In Exodus 34, we're told about Moses and how he would go into the presence of God and he'd meet with God and after he'd come out, he'd come out of uh, his meeting with God and he'd have to put a veil over his face because his face was shining from seeing the glory of God. God. He wore a veil, Paul says, in verse 13, to keep the Israelites from gazing at it, that is, the glory, while the radiance was fading away. Moses saw the glory of God and was transformed by it. His face shone because of it. And he hid his face so that the people wouldn't think, well, this is it. We've seen the glory of God. This is where it's at. Because it was just a glimpse do you see, the old covenant, the law, gave a sneak peek of the glory of God. They saw the glory of God on Moses' face. They saw the glory of God when it filled the temple. They saw the glory of God as He went with them through the desert in a uh, in a cloud of fire by night, and a, in a uh, sorry, a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. They saw the glory of God. They saw the glory of God when the priests were first ordained. Do you remember that in, in Leviticus 9 and chapter uh, 10 as well. But it was a hidden glory, hidden by the veil of Moses, hidden behind the curtain of the most holy place, hidden at the top of Mount Sinai, a mountain which couldn't be approached except by Moses for fear that the people would die. They foresaw the glory of the gospel but only in shapes and shadows. They saw in shapes and shadows the glory of the sacrifice of Christ in the sacrifices of the Old Testament, in its rituals and its symbols that it pointed to Jesus. It pointed to the presence of God in the new creation. It was a glorious ministry. But it was a veiled, shadowy ministry. And so Moses covered his face so that nobody would think, this is it. We've got back to God. Paul says it wasn't in that ministry that people met God and lived. It's in this new ministry through Jesus Christ where we see firsthand the glory of God the veils ripped away the curtain torn down the glory of God in forgiving sinners the glory of God in rescuing creation the glory of God in the unfathomable mercy in sending his own son to die in our place the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. The word became flesh, John writes, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And if that wasn't enough of a miracle, Paul says in verse 18, and we who with unveiled faces All reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Moses saw the glory of God and was transformed by it. We who behold the glory of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ see God in Jesus and are never the same again. We reflect the glory of God and are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. What's the point? Why is Paul saying all this? Why all this deep theology? His point is this, why would you bother? You see, if gospel ministry is about being led as a captive in Jesus' victory procession, to places that you don't want to go and you don't want to stay, at times that you'd rather not be there, If gospel ministry is about dealing with sin in the church, do you remember that last week? And about being hard-pressed and great anguish. If gospel ministry is about being the stench of death to those who are perishing, why would you bother? Why not just go home? And have a warm bath. Paul says, because in our hands is the glory of God. We have seen Him, the glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth. I uh, played yesterday uh, in uh, in my trombone quartet, Uh, and I was talking with one of the other guys beforehand, and I was lamenting the songs that we had to play, Uh, and I was saying I really didn't want to play because in two of the songs I had to start, which means I was all on my own, which is never a good thing to do. And in the other in the other part, I had the I had the kind of the opposing line or kind of the solo part. And all three of the songs, I had to do things, I had to be exposed. And I said, I don't like it because the whole point of being the third trombone is that you get to hide behind everybody else. And he said to me, jokingly, he said, that it was wrong for me to hide my prodigious talent, you know, under a bushel. And we laughed. But actually, you know, there's something true about that, isn't there? You know, if you have a great gift... It's sort of wrong in a way just to hide it away and to, to hold it back. And if that's true of third-rate trombone playing in a quartet of a bunch of friends, if that's true there, how much more true is it if we have in our hands the gift of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ? Why bother? Because we have the glory of God in Jesus Christ. What is gospel ministry like? It's like being led as a captive in the victory procession of Jesus. It's hard, it's full of trials, it invites opposition, it's the stench of death. But it is also in Jesus Christ the glory of God. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we uh, are but humble slaves and captives and recipients of a victory which is not our own except that in Jesus Christ you have not only defeated us and sin and death, but you have welcomed us into Jesus' victory. And Lord, even as we're led as captives and slaves to places where we wouldn't go and at times where we wouldn't, which we wouldn't choose, Lord, even as you lead us, we share in Jesus' victory. Lord, we pray that you would help us to have Paul's frame of reference to the successes and the failures of our life. That we would see everything that we are involved in as pursuing this one great aim of revealing and unveiling your glory through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, open our eyes wider so that we might behold your glory more and more and that through the Spirit, as we behold you, we would be transformed with ever-increasing glory into the likeness of your dear son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we ask that as we are changed, that you would help us to hold out the light of your glory to the world around us as well. Equip us for such a great task, we pray, for Jesus' sake, Amen.